0: Welcome to All About Literacy. We've invited Jason Posada to this podcast episode to speak with us about project-based learning. Jason is the current Director of Instructional Services at the Ottawa Area Intermediate School District. Prior to this role, he led the support for the identification and development of innovative learning solutions across the Ottawa area as Director of Innovation Services. Prior to this, he was the development director, where he championed, developed, and implemented the Future Prep Program, a series of interrelated supports and systems that ensures that students are more informed and better prepared for their future callings.
1: So, Jason, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you. For so the hey, next
2: one. Oh, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say thanks for having me. This is really fun. Well, we're
1: super excited. We're excited to have you share some of your thinking with us, but also then to share your thinking with the listeners as well. So for the next 20, 25 minutes or so, we'll take um, turns asking you some questions. How does that sound? Sounds great. Awesome. So I'm, I get to start. Jason, would you tell us a little bit about yourself beyond what Deb had shared in the introduction and specifically what sparked your passion for project-based learning?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me again. This is really fun. So a little bit about myself. I grew up on the east side of the state and moved to West Michigan around 11 years ago. I've worked in a variety of different situations. So I've worked in Boston, Chicago, outside of DC, and most recently here in the kind of the West Michigan area. And within West Michigan, as Ed alluded to, part of the work that I've done here is coordinating resources, training, and support for educators across the West Michigan area to learn about project-based learning and kind of the skills and the habits and the the supports that need to go into place to make that effective. So one thing that really draws me to this work is the idea that there's a ton of research pointing to the fact that students in the future are going to need certain skills to be successful in life, no matter what they do. And those are skills um, that we all know about, things like the ability to collaborate and think critically about issues, and to learn to be adaptable. And really well-structured project-based learning is a perfect vehicle for helping students learn both these skills and certain content at the same time. So I really feel like project-based learning is the pedagogy or the um, tool that we need to really help students learn the skills and the content they're gonna need to be successful in life in the future.
0: Jason, you have worked with I don't know, can we say thousands of educators over the years? (laughs) That's a lot uh, about project-based learning. And at Hope College, I've had the pleasure of interacting and working with many of them some of them, but they have just talked about how transformational learning about project-based learning and participating in some of the programs that you've led and developed, it has been to their pedagogy and to their ideas of preparing students. As you reflect on all this work with educators over the years and in these different roles, Jason, what would you say are some of the common misconceptions about project-based learning that you've encountered or that you try to meet as you meet brand new, or brand new educators or educators brand new to these ideas of project-based learning?
2: Yeah. So there are many misconceptions about project-based learning. And some of those do come from, I would say, poorly structured project-based learning experiences that kind of go off the rails or go off in a direction that you don't want it to. And I think one of the biggest ones is the fact that it's it's really time-consuming to do PBL. That it's going to take up my whole life. It's going to take up all of our class time. It's going to take up all of my planning time. I'm not going to be able to um, do anything on the weekend because I'm going to be planning for it all the time. That it's like super, super intensive, both on the student end and the teacher end. And I honestly think that in many ways that couldn't be farther from the truth. It really is in how you structure it and how you put constraints and parameters around the project that I I think, help it from becoming this overtaxing, over-consuming sort of a thing. Another misconception that I hear a lot is that project-based learning is fluffy, that it doesn't deal with really important standards or content that students need to learn, and that really it's just fun. It's a time that you do, it's, project-based learning is something that you do after you're done doing the hard content and the really important learning that students need to do. You do this as a dessert sort of a thing. Again, really structured, really well-structured project-based learning couldn't be farther from the truth. It really can exist to help students learn really important content and skills at the same time.
1: If you think about the idea of it being fluffy or it's um, dessert, or if it's too time-consuming, what are some of the common barriers that you have seen teachers encounter when they try to implement PBL? And that can be experienced teachers or brand new teachers.
2: So some of the barriers that teachers often encounter when doing this is a matter of time. And it's a matter of, do I have the time to actually implement this within my classroom, within my curriculum, things like that. And there's the time within the classroom, but then there's also the time for planning. Another barrier is how much do I have support for my my colleagues, my staff, my school, and doing this sort of pedagogy. Oftentimes, this is different than what might be happening next door, across the hall, or it might not have been tried in your school, or in the past might have been tried, and there might be a negative misconception of what this actually looks like. Sometimes it takes a little bit of bravery and communication and just really charging ahead with this practice to see what it looks like within the classroom. And sometimes just that little barrier of saying, or of knowing that maybe this isn't happening across the school, or maybe people have misconceptions about it. That's enough of a barrier for a teacher sometimes to say, you know what, I'm not going to pursue this practice. I'm just going to go back to my regular tried and true practice that I do within my classroom that I know works as effectively as it has worked in the past.
0: That's helpful. And Jason, we've talked about misconceptions. We've talked about barriers. Those are in the negative. But one thing I know that you are so good at is pitching PBL to new teachers. And Erica and I, we teach pre-service teachers in about their junior, senior year in their pre-service education. And for some of our students, they've encountered PBL as students, which is always really exciting. And then to bring them on this side of thinking about it as a teacher is sometimes a process of helping them see that as well. But as you think about talking to new teachers, and as you think back to your work when you were working with Future Prep, what was your pitch or how did you like appeal to their sense of learning and excitement about PBL? As we think about what would you like more teachers to know about PBL in the positive?
2: PBL, when done correctly, provides students with a ton of agency and voice and choice, and it allows them to do the hard work of learning and the really good and rich work of learning core content and standards and skills that we want them to have. Because students in a really well structured, well done project-based learning unit are so engaged and so engrossed in learning that content, it frees you up as the educator to do the work that you want to do in working with students. So you get to become the coach or the guide asking students, what are they learning? How well are they learning it? Where do they need help? It allows you to work with students on more of a one-on-one individual level. Um, Whereas if you're thinking about typical standard teaching, a lot of the times it's a teacher giving content and checking in from time to time for understanding. But project-based learning really frees you up in a magical way as a teacher to help you work with students and get to know your students, frankly, in a really special and meaningful way.
1: So Jason, when you think about the this, that concept of being um, a coach or a guide, rather than, as you said, that typical kind of, you didn't use the term, but this idea of standing and delivering. So okay. you just stands up in front or on the side and gives, what are some aha moments that you have seen teachers come to when they begin to use PBL or they learn about it, they begin to use it. And then light bulbs go on or they have these moments. What are some of those fun moments that you've seen teachers have when they've begun to really dive in or learn about and implement? PBL as a
2: concept sounds overwhelming or it sounds like this big, for lack of a better term, and this might sound somewhat negative, it sounds like a production. It sounds like something that I really have to orchestrate I really have to put in a lot of time up front and think about how am I going to coordinate all the things in the classroom and how students are going to interact and things like that. And that's really true. But the ahas that I've seen that I think are really fun from teachers are the fact that honestly, project-based learning is made up of a lot of instructional moves in a coordinated way that we already do in lots of ways, or are are moves that we really want to see happen you know, naturally within our classrooms. So for example, one of the tenets of project-based learning is the fact that students are exploring an authentic question or problem, and they're doing that in an authentic and engaging way. That concept alone is something that many teachers do within their classroom, whether you be in math or science or ELA, but they might not do it in a project-based learning framework. Really, project-based learning is the stitching together of lots of different practices, again, that we know are effective for kids and for learning, but it does it in a really meaningful and structured way that really lends to the flow of students really learning skills and content over time. So it's that aha of saying, oh, this really isn't something radically different from what I've been trained to do or what I know is good for kids. It's really about the coordination of all these skills into a cohesive unit or experience
0: so many words that you said, Jason, that I just want to grab onto it. Erica and I are like high-fiving each other as as we even just think about some of these key concepts in our courses, but talking about agency and voice and choice and the hard work of learning authentically within our different disciplines and areas is so important. It's so rich and it's not an add-on, it's not a production, but it's what these instructional moves that we've been thinking already deeply about in many other ways. So both Erica and I teach to students representing all the content areas, including music, art, PE, math, et cetera. In our work with students over the years, we found that some of our students representing different content areas have a harder time grasping onto it. And they'll say something like, oh, English, it's easier to do, or history, PBL works better with that. Can you share some stories over the years of really exciting PBL experiences that you have either walked with teachers or observed teachers doing within some of these perhaps quote unquote harder content areas to do with PBL? Would just love to hear some concrete examples.
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah. So the thing with the quote unquote harder content areas um, like math and PE and music and other things like that is we have a really structured schema or idea of what that Teaching looks like within a classroom. So, when you think of a music classroom, you think of students sitting around in a semicircle going through music and learning performances that they're going to give or music that they're going to give at an eventual performance. Or, when you think of a PE classroom, you think of students learning um, potentially discrete skills of a sport or doing certain movements, and then eventually they get to play the sport. And same thing with math. We think about math as being this content area where you learn discrete skills or ways of attacking and working with numbers. And then you practice that. We It's the classic, I do, I'll show you how to do it. We do it. We're going to do it together. And then you do it. You go ahead and do it on your own. I'm going to check in with you to see how things go. And those schemas are so strong that it's hard to break out what that classic classroom looks like and rethinking in a project-based learning way. The most successful ways that I've seen that happen is when educators go back and actually look at what are the learning standards that I really need to teach my kids in these classrooms. And what are they really asking of me as an educator? And what would I want to see from students? What's the evidence of learning that I would want to see if they were going to become proficient in these skills? So for example, there is a PE teacher to the north of where we are right now in Ottawa County. And she was looking through her standards and realized that a lot of her standards, especially at the elementary age, had to do with things like types of movement, whether it be gross movement or movement with your arms or your hands or things like that. And being able to exercise for a certain period of time, things like that. And honestly, one of the things had to do with having an attitude of being a lifelong, not fanatic, but someone who is into health and wellness and things like that. So she created a PBL unit where, as opposed to having students practice certain gross movement or motor skills through the different sports that we would typically think about in a P situation, like baseball, basketball, volleyball, whatever else, or whatever games we might play. She actually had students develop their own games, utilizing a certain set of objects and having them think about the certain set or certain sort of movements that they would need to do to complete that game. Students worked in small groups. They made prototypes of their game. They practiced them. They demonstrated them for um, her as the teacher. And at the end, students got the opportunity to play each other's games and then give feedback on them. So if you think about that process in the typical, in this typical gym classroom, students had agency, they got to think through what their games might look like. They got to collaborate with other students. They got to practice these really important skills that were part of her standards in many different ways. They got to go do reflection and feedback and all of these things are things that, might not be typical in a standard PE classroom. So it was really interesting to see her implement that project over time.
1: So Jason, the question I have is, was what makes for a successful PBL project? But that being said, and this is something Deb has talked about earlier, is there are some terms that you've continued to bring up over and over. So for example, um, the concept of agency, collaboration, practicing things, trying them out, reflecting on your learning, sharing with authentic audiences, which of course, is the idea goes beyond the classroom. In addition to those pieces, what else would you say makes for a successful PBL project? So when everything is said and done, and actually more so for the students rather than the teacher, What is it that makes that makes any given PBL project in any given content or disciplinary discipline successful?
2: So I I think the number one thing that makes a PBL experience successful for both the educator and the students is smart parameters and constraints around things like time, resources, the authentic question you're going to choose how students will present their end products, anything like that, anything you can think smartly about how am I going to put parameters and constraints around this, I think is only going to help both the students and you as the educator have a successful project-based learning experience. Oftentimes there's this misconception with PBL that it's really open-ended and students can do whatever they want and it's going to take as long as it's going to take. And we're going to give students any and all choice that they want for the final presentation and things like that. And that's great when we can do that, when we can leave it that open-ended. But oftentimes, from what I've seen, if you leave things too open-ended, either it grows to be too long or students get stuck or there's not enough guidance for students on what their next step might be. So really, again, having really smart and intentional ideas around What makes sense for the way students might explore this problem? And if students come up with additional ideas, great, but here's at least an initial idea of how we might attack it. Or here's some initial ideas for how we might present our final presentation to our authentic audience. And again, if students come up with different ideas, fantastic, but at least having those initial ideas in place makes all the difference for a final or for a PBL project.
0: That's so helpful because I I think there can be the tendency to say I want to give students voice like that's the purpose and choice and so then we don't have these parameters but yet I think there's freedom within those structures and parameters once they're established and, and flexibility within that so it's not lockstep as you already talked about but there's freedom within those I think rather than not having any of them at all. So thanks for that just those concepts as we think about and as we talk with our students about this. And I know one of the things, my next question is sort of about what resources would you recommend to teachers? And I'm just going to answer that for you for a moment, because this is what I've learned from you, Jason. And this is a key tenet of future prep is we learn by doing, right? We don't just talk about PBL. And you've always stressed the importance of having teachers experience PBL themselves as learners. Um, rather than just doing it for students and having students go through the process. So that's, as we think about resources and how do we get better at this? And I always think about you and I, when I think about we, we learn by doing, and so that's one, but what other resources or recommendations would you have for people who wanna learn more or get better at PBL?
2: Yeah, two really great resources you might wanna check out include the West Michigan PBL Network, which can be found at wmpblnetwork.org or uh, PBL Works through the Buck Institute out of California. They've been doing this work for a long time and their website is PBLWorks.org. They're a great resource for what really good, rich PBL looks like within the classroom.
0: So
1: um, Jason, and we'll link these, both of those in the, with this episode so that listeners can click on those links. And I know Deb and I have used, PBL, the Buck Institute's work, and then, of course, the West Michigan PBL Network with the um, launching of the website earlier this spring and some cool stuff that's happening and then examples um, of PBL around West Michigan, I think this is, can be especially useful for anybody, whether they're here in West Michigan or elsewhere. So thank you for sharing that. One of the, as Deb talked about earlier, one of the goals um, of this podcast is really to help pre-service teachers continue to think about what does it mean to teach and learn, in the 21st century and so for those beginning teachers who are listening what advice would you give them and it doesn't it can be about Pbl it can be about teaching it can be pretty much anything but what advice would you give to beginning teachers especially thinking about moving out of a pandemic we're in right now recording this in 2021 when they have a career ahead of them what would you say to them
2: um shoot <laughs> that's a big question there's a lot to say to beginning educators I So I reflect back on my beginning teaching and I remember I had really big ideals, really big ideas for what I wanted to see in the classroom. And I remember working really hard to try to make those happen because I honestly, I was full of lots of optimism and energy and hope that I could make a huge difference for my kids. And I remember back when I started teaching working almost to the point of exhaustion sometimes because I just wanted so badly for my classroom to be the model classroom, to be the classroom that I saw in my mind's eye. My advice for new teachers or teachers coming off the pandemic and coming into the classroom this upcoming year is start small and work smart on a couple of elements of, and if you're thinking about project-based learning, Think about implementing a couple of elements from project-based learning in your classroom and start small with those and build up and layer up over time. You can think about how do I experiment with times when you might give students more voice and choice in your classroom or when might you have them work on more open-ended, authentic questions or How are you giving them feedback and time to revise their work? As you go, as you get comfortable with these practices and start to feel good with where you're at with them, try layering on additional ones. So try thinking about how do I have an authentic open-ended question? And as part of that project, how do I help students do authentic investigation into that open-ended question? It's through doing that that you can build out what a project-based learning unit might look like. You don't have to start, you don't have to start with everything all at once. You can always, you know, add elements in over time and build up to what you want to have in the end.
0: I love that. Such great advice, Jason. And I would add to that, to beginning teachers, find people who can support you in this work. And I always tell Teachers in this area, if you can get a chance to get involved in programs like Future Prep, you'll find your people. And Jason, a comment I've heard from many area teachers is that in Future Prep, but then also just in your work in general with the ISD, you've always treated teachers like professionals. And so surround yourself uh, with people who can support you. And in these incremental steps that are sustainable, how do you find people who can support you in that work? Thanks for what you do in our area and beyond in terms of supporting teachers. So we're at the, towards the end of our podcast episode, Jason, and a tradition we have is to ask our guests a fun question. In our literacy courses that we teach, Eric and I talk about the importance of acknowledging, affirming, and drawing on students' out-of-school literacy practices the sorts of things we do in our hobbies or sports or cultural, religious, ethnic groups that we actively participate in. And I love how project-based learning often just in general draws on uh, students' out-of-school literacy practices and interests and motivations. But here's our question for you. What's one out-of-school literacy practice that you enjoy? Oh,
2: that is a good question. I So when I think about literacy, I think about literacy in all its forms. And I think about um, how there's not only like the written word and the spoken word, but I also think about visual literacy and how that helps support oftentimes the written and the spoken word. And I am a huge fan of all things visual. I don't know my brain, I think is wired a little bit to be, to respond to things or to think about things in a visual way. I love creating artwork and I love, actually, it's funny, like our daughter who's 10 just came out with a quote unquote magazine the other day, that she was writing out of school for no reason, but to just report on things going on in the house. I love doing stuff like that, where I get to work on things that have both a visual component and then a kind of a written or a spoken component. And especially working out with my family, doing fun things like creating magazines or creating posters or things like that. That's one thing I like to do outside of the classroom LA sort of thing.
1: So Jason, just as a follow-up to that, do you uh, draw, do you use uh, technology to generate those illustrations or those graphic images, or do you hand draw? What kinds of mediums do you choose or tools do you choose to generate those visual images?
2: Yeah, so I, um, I don't know, I used to be a big hand drawer and I used to be even thinking about my past practice, I used to draw and then transfer it to technology a lot of times. So taking pictures of it and then manipulated it, manipulating it with computer technology like the Adobe suite and things like that. But as technology has evolved, I find I use technology more and more for my visual representations. I don't necessarily gravitate as much towards the drawn aspect. I like the idea of and technology, it's perfect. It doesn't have my hand smudges. It doesn't have my, I don't have to worry so much about things like smearing and things like that. And I can always go back and change and edit it over time. I've been drawn to the technology aspect of things.
1: Thank you for um, offering that. Cause that's something I know different individuals have different perspectives about in terms of creating visual art and kind of what um, tools or mediums they like to work in. And so that's fun to to hear that. And I know that when you and I've met and talked and you've taken notes or shown me things I've often seen pictures um, accompanied with words. So that makes a lot of sense. I hope that your daughter's magazine issue is well-read and widely distributed beyond the Posada home. That's awesome. You've got budding authors and illustrators in your home. That's great. We have, as Deb said, we've come to the end of this episode. So I want to thank you again for joining us. And for those of you listening in, thank you for joining us as well. Be sure to follow All About Literacy on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. We are Devin Dinan and Erica Hamilton, and we wish you beautiful adventures ahead as we keep learning all about literacy.